All right, well, welcome everyone to Lord's Love, uh, both people in person and online on Zoom. Glad you guys are joining us uh, this morning. Uh, for those of you who are new with us today, my name is Howard, and I'm the youth intern here at Lord's Love. And I'm just so excited to be back here to see you guys physically. Can we just all agree that it's kind of nice, right? Like to be physically, you know, even though we're distant, that we can see each other face to face. Like we don't have to look at the small screen and like hurt our eyes. It's kind of nice to be like freely looking everywhere and move around stuff. So, um, I'm excited and I hope that you are too. Uh, today we are continuing on our series on Romans, the power of the gospel. And last week, Pastor Doug preached on the beginning of chapter two about judgment, about how the Jews were judging the Gentiles. And today we're looking at the core issue of how they even came to judging. So just to recap a couple of important points from last week, is that Paul was writing to the Jews and he was saying, hey, you need to stop judging because when you judge, you're actually judging yourself too. You're doing the same thing. And when you judge, we're doing it based on feelings. But when God judges, he judges based on truth. So you need to stop judging because righteousness comes from God's doing and not our own doing. That Christianity, we're bringing it back to today's context, isn't about behavioral change. It's about God transforming hearts and changing lives. And that's what we're going to be diving into uh, today. Uh, and the core issue of that is the heart. That yes, the Jews were judging people, but the, the root cause of that is because they lived as people who were privileged. Yes, they had the covenant, they're, they're in covenant with God, they're in this relationship, that God gave them this law, but they took that as a huge privilege and they did not obey. They did not have the heart that led to obedience. In fact, they disobeyed God many times. And so we're focusing on the heart and we think about it. Sometimes we can really tell what's really in a person's heart with the way they act, right? For example, uh, when, I, when I was in grade 12, uh, high school year, um, my friends were like, my friends bought me a TV for my birthday. And that was a huge surprise, okay? Uh, so like, you know, keep those friends who buy you those things, right? I'm just kidding. Um, but, uh, but they were really sick and tired of, you know, those big box TV, you guys remember that? Yeah, those big box TV, just ridiculously so heavy and takes up so much room. But I had that for so, like for so many years and they were sick and tired of it. They're like, how are you going to change it? But the truth was like, I was never bothered by it. I was like, I was happy. Like, yeah, we have TV. I can still watch TV and it's fine. Uh, but they were annoyed because they all had like plastic TV and they're like, oh, it's taking up so much space. So at the end of the day, they actually bought me a TV and I was like surprised. I'm like, what? <laughs> All right, uh, don't mind if I do, I'll take your gifts. Um, but the thing is with their gesture, they've been talking about it for a long time. Yeah, we're just, you know what? We're just gonna get you one. All right, I never took their words for it. Like I didn't expect them to do it. I'm like, all right, that's fine. It was all talk, like it's great. Like I thought it was a, just a joke, right? Joking around, but they actually did it. And at that time, I'm like, man, these Friends are great. Like they weren't just talking about it. They weren't just joking about it. Like, they were actually serious. And I didn't take them seriously until I actually saw the flat screen TV. So the point is just that their generous gesture really pointed out what was really in their heart and that they really cared and they really wanted to bless me with that. And I think oftentimes our, our actions as well really speaks about what is really inside our heart. And so today, the big idea. So you see that the big idea is that our heart's condition determines our action. 
Okay, so a lot of times the way we express or the way we live or the, the behaviors that we express really comes from the condition of a heart. So for example, when our heart is in a good place, we become more happy, we become more joyful and towards others, we will become more generous and we will become more kind. But when our hearts are not in a good place, in a bad place, we tend to express differently, express in negative ways. So we would rebel or we would sin against God or we would sin against other people. So all these actions, behaviors that we have come from the heart. And when we look at the Jews, they failed to obey God, even though God gave them the law. That even though they were God's people, they, had, they understood God's law, but they failed to obey God because their hearts were not in the right place. And their actions spoke for itself. So it's great that they had knowledge, but it wasn't helpful when they were not obey. So the first point of today is this, that without obedience is insufficient and leads to hypocrisy. Knowledge without obedience is insufficient. Again, it's great that we have God's word. Again, it's great that we have God's law. But it's insufficient if we're not obeying it. We're not doing it if we're not living it out. So we're going to go verse by verse into this chapter. As Pastor Beck has already read, we're going to go dive right into verse by verse. So follow me along. So now you, if you call yourself a Jew, over here the Jew it's a term that was given to people in the descendants of Judah, all right, uh, that was for the Israelites after the exile. So it was, they were never given that before that, but it was after the exile that they were given that name. And so if you, someone you, you're a Jew, if you're reading this, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind and life for those who are in dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. Let's look at verse 17 to 18 first. So verse 17 to 18 is what a lot of commentators call it, the five blessings that you look on there. The first one is that they call themselves a Jew. That means that they call, they, because they know that they have a special relationship with God as covenant people. They claim to be followers of God's law. The second uh, blessing that they have is that they get to rely on the law. They depended on the law for their religious identity. When they have the law, they were known as God's people. However, the problem was that because they know they rely on the law, they rely on that and they did not obey God. They think that because they have the law, that they can depend on the law that they will be protected and excused from God's final judgment. So that's why if we look back in the beginning of chapter two, that they, that's why they start judging the Gentiles because they think that they themselves are already saved because God gave them the law. So they rely on that truth, so-called truth. So the third one is boast about God. It's a good thing to boast about God, but little do we know that, uh, do they know that Jews actually became, began to lack um, humility. And their pride began to be in themselves and their status. Again, they were privileged people. They were living as one and they showed it through their actions. The fourth one is that they claim to know God's will. That means that God revealed the law to them to guide them. But yet they took that and they, because they had this superior knowledge, they think that all we have, all we need is knowledge. And that's great. We're saved. And that's salvation right there. 
And the last one is a proof of what disappeared. And this meaning has two. Either it can be one ability to distinguish right and wrong, but anyone can really do that. Two, a proof of the things that are best or truly excellent, meaning the ability to make higher moral choices. And right here is pointing to number two because of the way that they acted, that they act more superior, more uh, much better than the Gentiles. And because of that, that they can make higher moral standards and choices. And that was the issue. So that's what Paul is saying. He's just addressing, you know what, just to be on the same page, this is what it means to be Jew. And you will understand this if you read it and if you're a Jew. Then he goes on to verse 19 to about their, about their calling. If you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in dark, right? An instructor for the foolish, a teacher of the little children, because you have the law and the body and the knowledge and truth. So now, first of all, you're, you're blessed with these things. You're blessed with these things, all right? And after you're blessed, then now you know you're calling that you have the responsibility that God gave you the law, but he gave you the, the law and the knowledge of it. But there's more to that. There's a way to it. That it's not just to understand it, but it's to live it out. But they fail to do that. And so Paul now goes into, I love it when Paul asks his rhetorical questions. There we go. So if you follow along, verse 21, all right? So after he talks about all the blessings, your responsibility as a Jew, now in verse 21, you, okay, now you, then, who teach others, do you not teach yourself? Cool, that's a loaded question already. It's a small sentence, small question, but it's already loaded. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you not steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? Again, the Jews taught the law, but they did not live it out. That's why there's that word called hypocrisy because they didn't practice what they preached. But they had the law, they taught it, and they were proud about it, but they never lived it out. They never taught themselves, and that was the issue. So again, it's great that we have knowledge, but there's a responsibility with it. And these Jews never understood that responsibility, even though God told them so many times what they had to do, that they have to be a blessing, teach it out, to model it out to other people. And so, verse 24, Paul now calls him out. And he quotes Isaiah 52, verse 5. It is written that God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Right here, blas blasphemy, blaspheme pretty much means speak reproach or evil. So in other words, your disobedience and your actions are causing others, the Gentiles, to speak evil or speak reproach against God. Essentially, the way that you're living out your faith, you're giving a wrong image of who God truly is. That's what Paul is trying to address. That because of you, now you're causing other people to stumble. Now you're making a bad name for God's name. And, he, and as I reflect on this, it goes back to what I was saying. The reason why they, they acted this way, that they become, became hypocrites, was the word entitlement. And that's a loaded word. 
but entitlement is the belief that one is deserving of or entitled to certain privileges. So for them, they knew their status like God's people, and they had the law, so they believe that they are safe and they're excused from God's judgment. And it's because of the circumcision, you know that circumcision was a sign of the covenant that they were God's people. But though that the circumcision was a sign of the covenant that they are God's people, they neglected obedience and dependent on their status. And Paul right here goes into first, in verse 25. Now he explains. So because you're entitled from your circumcision, you're entitled, this is the issue with circumcision. So it's great, but then because they didn't obey, now it became a problem. Now Paul says, circumcision has value if you observe the law. But if you break the law, you have become as though you have not been circumcised. So then if those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you, who even though you have the written code in circumcision are lawbreakers. The word value, another word for value is profit. Another word for observe is practice. So to paraphrase, circumcision has profit if you practice the law. But if you break the law, you have become as though you have not been circumcised. You essentially become like the Gentiles who didn't have the law. So then if you are not, so for those who are not circumcised, meaning the Gentiles who actually keep the law, then doesn't that kind of shame you? Doesn't, don't, don't the Gentiles actually look better to stand out more as God's people than you because they actually obey the law? So in other words, that they stand out more as God's people over your status as God's people. And what Paul is trying to address right here is, if I could phrase it another way, is, you might as well not be circumcised if you're not going to obey the law. You might as well not be circumcised. So here's the thing. If the issue is hypocrisy, that their actions, the way they live their life, the way they express themselves don't align with their hearts, then how can they be changed? God gave them this covenant that they had to be circumcised as a symbol that they are God's people. And they were told to live in obedience, but they ignore obedience because they were entitled. But how can they change if that doesn't work for them? Is that now the second point is this, that our action will align with our heart when it has been changed by the Holy Spirit. It is only in the Holy Spirit that we can be changed. It is not by our own actions because we can even see from the Jews' example that their outward behavior didn't help. And so now Paul is like saying, you know what, because of Jesus now, before Jesus, that was the law. But now Jesus, this is now the new covenant. This is the new covenant. Now God is working in the heart. So we're going to read verse 28. So a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code, meaning the letter, the law. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. So Paul right here is just uh, 
giving a difference between a professing Jew and one who's the real Jew now in the new covenant. And so the outward circumcision no longer matters. The physical one doesn't matter because you didn't obey God. So it doesn't matter. But what matters now is the inward circumcision. And that is done in the heart by the Holy Spirit. Now we're talking, instead of talking about the physical thing, let's ignore the physical thing. Let's talk about the spiritual side of it. In your heart, spiritually. What matters now is the inward circumcision. It's the heart transformation, the heart change. That's not done by our, our own action, but by the work of the Holy Spirit. And because that the Holy Spirit changes our heart, now we have the relationship with Jesus. That even if we're struggling our sin, that our hearts can be changed and that our hearts and our actions can align together. And that's what it means by the circumcision of the heart. And it's only done by the Spirit. And with this new covenant, here's the thing. is that because of this new covenant, nobody else's opinion matters. That nobody else can judge us because only God can now tell what's really in your heart, what's really the true motive. And just to give another example, that sometimes the way people talk, we can actually tell by what their passion is or who they really are. So the, the, the summer before my grad year, my uh, undergrad in Saskatchewan, I was uh, interning at a church, uh, doing a summer internship, a youth one. And we, I was running at a family camp. And I was doing the youth side. There was one youth that came. He used to go to that church, but he happened to be in the same retreat. He was with his church. So he just came by and just to drop off, uh, drop by to connect with people. And we were just playing card games. We didn't really talk much. Um, he was just like catching with his friends. And um, yeah, just the way he talked, he was like, because we're playing card game and he was like, he, was, he wasn't good at it. And he admitted, he's like, yeah, I'm terrible at this game, but you know what? I'm just going to chirp you guys. I'll just play. I'm terrible, but I'll just chirp you guys anyway. That's why I'm going to do the whole game. I'm like, the word chirp. I never heard that word chirp in a long time. The last time I heard it was uh, the only time I really hear the word chirp is in the hockey community, in the hockey culture. I don't know about other sports that they use the word chirp. Some people use the word beak. Essentially, it means trash talk. Whether you're joking or you're actually serious about trash talk, I'm like, chirp, I haven't heard that in a long time. But at the same time, the way he was talking, I'm like, that kind of sounds like what I would say. Because when I'm terrible at a game with my friends, I would just end up trash talking for fun just, you know, because if I can't do anything, I might as well try to get their game off. So I'll just trash talk. I'm like, this kid sounds like me. So I'm like, oh, maybe he plays hockey. So just because of that one word, the lingo, and the way he was expressing himself, the way he was talking. So I asked him, hey, so uh, play hockey? He's like, yeah, yeah. How do you know? I'm like, I know a lot of things. Just kidding. I didn't say that. Um, but the fact that his action, the way he expressed himself, the way he talked, how he was just joking around, I was able to identify, and I shared the same experience with him as well, identify what his passion was at, where, what he desired. And oftentimes, we can tell about someone uh, through the way they act. And just to illustrate, this is, um, this is something that is not, this is something that Jesus talks about. And I want to refer back in the gospel because Jesus even talked about that. In Matthew 15, verse 10 to 11, 16, 20, the, Pharise the, the disciples did not wash their hands and they were eating. If you guys remember the clean and the unclean. And so the Pharisees were challenging about Jesus, you know, like uh, your, your people are not following the law and stuff. And so you're defiling the law. And so Jesus says, what defiles a person isn't the things that go into their mouth, but what comes out of their mouth. All right. So 
what defiles a person isn't what's inside because it'll come back out and you can, I'll leave that to your own interpretation. Um, but essentially it goes in, goes out. So it really doesn't matter. So what, how Jesus answered was this in verse 15, 18 to 19. But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. And these defile them. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. So it doesn't matter if, you're, if your hands are unclean, you're eating food, and because once the food goes in, it's going to go out. He's talking about, you know, they're talking about the physical stuff, but now Jesus is talking about the spiritual stuff. No. What's important is about, what, about people's actions because what, comes, um, because what comes out of the person's mouth is actually from their heart. And inside their heart is filled with murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony. So even Jesus talks about that, and this is why we're looking into the circumcision of the heart. And, and again, the Jews were living as hypocrites. They were. And this passage is relevant, so relevant to us today. And we're going to get into the, the ugly part, the, the bad part of this. Because as I reflect on it, that's the issue with Christianity is that we oftentimes become hypocrites. You know, the question that I want to ask is, does our actions align with our heart and belief? The way we live out our life, the, the things that we say, the things that we express, does it reflect who we are? Does it align with our heart? You see, oftentimes our actions and how we live as Christians actually turn off others, um, believers, about Christianity because of the way that we are living, the way that we are, how our actions don't align with our hearts. You see, non-believers, I've heard this one time, and really, like, it really hit me, that part. Non-believers don't want to believe in Jesus, not because of Jesus, not because they don't believe in his existence, but non-believers don't want to believe in Jesus because of Christians, the way that we live, the way uh, that we live out. And that's why we're all we're known for as being hypocrites. I know that's a huge word, and that's not something that I like to even say for, for us. But that's the truth, and they're not wrong. And like Pastor Doug said, in the beginning of Romans, it is all the bad news. But again, we don't know how good the good news is, which will come later, until we know how bad things are. So we got to deal with this first. And then once we understand our brokenness, our sins, how sometimes our actions don't align with the heart, that now we can give it to Jesus. So again, do people see that you're different the way that you live your life? When you say, you know, to not take revenge, that you shouldn't take revenge, do you take revenge on other people? When you say to forgive, do you forgive as well? When you say don't get drunk, do you get drunk as well? When you say that you shouldn't gossip, do you gossip as well? Do we gossip as well? These are issues that we wrestle with because these are the things that we believe that we shouldn't do, but yet at times we still do them. And the reason I'm asking these questions about if, our lives are different if the way we're living is different. And if our actions align with our heart, the reason why I'm saying is not to judge or condemn anyone, but just to raise up an issue that it is easy for us as Christians to fall into the trap of making our own rules of how to be a Christian without allowing God's word to shape us, allowing the spirit to shape us in how to live and how to follow Jesus. And I'm saying this also because I've also been called out in my life by both Christians and non-Christians before. And 
you know, these things, and I care enough to let you know that even for myself, that I've been called because as I reflect back in my life, that there have been times where I became a hypocrite as well as a struggle. And this is why these are things that we need to be aware of. And the, and the number one thing to solve a problem is to admit that we have a problem. And for us, it's hypocrisy, that our actions don't align with a heart. So, like, if we, if we think about it, if non-believers, all right, just think about non-believers' point of view, right? If they see that our actions as Christians don't align with our heart, then how would they see that, they're, that, that Christians and, uh, are different than them? How do they see the difference if they see that you're just like the same as us? How would they see the difference? And the second question is, and if they see that our actions are still the same as them, then why would they want what we have, Jesus? Why would they want Jesus if they don't even see the difference in the way we live our lives, in the way we express our faith? Because the way we express our faith, the values that we show really show what's really in our heart, the core of our belief. And so it is easy for us as Christians, and we're saying this because we should be keeping each other accountable, to keep living and to keep pointing to Jesus. Because all this points to one thing, that sin is so deadly. And that's why Jesus had to come to bring redemption. And nobody else could bring redemption. Only Jesus could. And it all points back to Jesus. And if you look at chapter 3 in Romans, it talks about how no one is righteous. That's what Paul is saying. That's how deadly sin is. It took Christ's sacrifice. And that's why, as Pastor Doug has said last week, that that's why righteousness has to come from God's doing and not our own doing. Even the, the Jews, in their own doing, they couldn't obey. But righteousness comes from God. So Jesus has offered us new life. Get this, all right? This new life, this new covenant, that our heart is changed. And he's given this new life, not, not so that we can live the new life, move forward and not go back to the old ways. It took that love, that sacrifice of him for us to move on to a new life and not to live and just be living our old ways of how we used to live. So again, it's difficult when we, it's difficult to obey God if we don't have a passion desire for him. So the thing is, like, this is where we need to come back to Jesus. Because with the sins and stuff, that's the, we have to come back to Jesus because the crazy thing about the gospel is that Jesus still loves us. No matter how much we screw up, that Jesus still loves us. We have to remember that. So if you acknowledge that you yourself, you have been a hypocrite at times, and that's okay. Acknowledge that. The best thing we can do is point back to Jesus because, again, it's only Jesus that can change our heart through the work of the Holy Spirit. So go to Jesus. Whatever says in your heart, whatever sins that you're struggling with, that you find it hard to live out your faith, whatever fears or anxiety that you have that's becoming a barrier for you to live out your faith in front of your non-Christian friends or family members, coworkers, whatever that is, give it to Jesus because it's only him that changes our hearts. And when, we, and when, our, hearts is, when our, our heart is changed, that is the key to leading to obedience. Only when our heart is changed, at least to obedience. Because without the heart, which is filled with our belief, with our passion, without that, we will not automatically obey. It's only the change of heart that we can be able to live out like Jesus did, to become more like him. Just to end off, one of the quotes that really resonated with me, that really uh, hit me, convicted me, was this. 
the longest journey in your life is from your head to your heart. The longest journey is from your head to your heart. It's great. Everyone can read the Bible and gain knowledge from that. But if you're not living it out, it's not effective. It's insufficient. And in fact, it will lead to hypocrisy, especially if you teach that out to people, that you should do this, but you don't do that. So we got to remember that it's great that we have head knowledge, that we have the truth, but the question is, what are we doing with that truth? How are we going to utilize that truth? And that comes from the heart, from the head to the heart. And from the heart, sometimes it's going to be hard because we're sinful. And this is where we need to rely and submit to Jesus, especially taking advantage of this new covenant of the, of the circumcision of the, whole, um, of the heart by the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit changes the heart. And when the Spirit changes the heart and filling us with more of love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, through the Spirit, like with Jesus, but naturally, naturally, when we're filled with it, that we are not actually naturally will become like Jesus to other people. We don't even need to try hard. That it's just naturally that we just want to love people. That naturally we just want to forgive people. And naturally we just want to be generous to other people to help the oppressed and do all these things without second thought. It just comes out naturally. So yes, it's great to have knowledge, but this is the point where we need to ask God to help us to change our hearts so that we can actually live it out. Because without the heart, there will be no obedience. It has to come from the heart. So allow God to change our hearts and become like him so that our actions will align with our heart. Let's pray. Dear God, you are loving, you are amazing. And this is why we worship you, why we come before you, Lord. And God, right now, we, we confess to you. We confess to you that we're very simple, we're very broken. And a lot of times, our actions don't align with our heart, and we become hypocrites towards others. So God, we acknowledge this. But we're also so amazed by the gospel, the good news, that even in our brokenness, that you still call us your own, that we're still your children, God, that you still love us. And so, God, I pray that whatever sins that we're struggling with and our brokenness and whatever that we're aware of, that your spirit will be in, at work inside our hearts to lead us into repentance, to turn away from the sin and to turn towards you, to turn towards the truth so that you can shape our hearts and so that our actions will align with our heart, with our belief in who you are. So we thank you for the grace and the mercy and the love that you offer us no matter how many times we we sin against you. And we're thankful for that. And we're thankful for this new life, for the circumcision of the heart, the change and the transformation of the heart. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.